welcome to Imagine Me and You Re Kuma. I am Panda. I am your host, and I am here with my co-host Alice. How you doing, Alice? I am doing great, actually. That is so good to hear. We are also here with Cass. Hi, Cass. Hello. And Abby. Hey. How's everyone feeling today? Pretty good. <laughs> don't, don't all speak up at once. <laughs> so that's, I was just about to make that joke. I was like, I'll be quiet this time. I'll let everyone else go first because I think I tend to fill silence a little too quickly. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it turns out that that has the effect of like any group I'm in longer term. Like everyone else is just like, the cast isn't talking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should say a thing now. This is an unusual thing to be in. We are here to talk about. More Yuri Bearstorm manga. We are doing chapters 22, 23, 24, 25. I know how to count. Isn't that great? And we are going to be two thirds of the way through the last volume. How is everyone feeling about that? Stoked. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very, I mean, we'll talk more about it, but I feel like it's an interesting point in the manga because you can really tell that Yes, the anime has like at this point finished or been going on. There's some influences and mm-hmm. there's definitely a tonal shift, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You know, I haven't read past the last chapter we're going to talk about today. And I'm kind of, in some ways, it feels like the story should be over now. And I'm not sure what's about to happen for the next four chapters. But not in a bad way. I'm just confused, I guess. But. Anyway, we'll get to that. We start with chapter 22. Cass, what happens in chapter 22? Well, first, a title page of young Yuriekai and uh, young Rhea kind of ministering to young Kale, who is asleep on like, it looks like someone's little veranda. And there's like cobblestones and shafts of sunlight coming through the trees. And it's, it's very cute. And there's, oh, they're outside the lily bed. I just, my brain... I have seen the splash page before. My brain just went like, oh, that's literally the lily bed from school. It's just that it looks different because the perspective is a lot more mm-hmm. kind of crunched in. So the terrace in front of it looks a lot smaller than it it does in some of the other actual sequences. I think Yurieka is also asleep. Oh, yeah. And it's all very cute. I know. It's it's uh, the thruple we could have had. <laughs> really, again, Kureha's unseen father is the true villain of Yurikuma. <laughs> So we actually cut right from this to, I think this might be one of the first times we cut to what looks like a character waking up and experiencing the events of the splash page, because this is apparently Mm -hmm. somewhat diegetic. Yurieka just reflects on the fact that she's smelling lilies and she's having a very nice day and Rhea is right beside her and she wakes up and realizes that she fell asleep. (laughs) <laughs> and Rhea shushes her because obviously, like, Kali's right there and she's sweepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, Kali got there while Yurieka was sleeping. Cute. And Rhea just basically tells her, hey, if you're still sleepy, you can you can sleep. And we get an all-black panel, which is not ominous at all, with the thought bubble, I wish we could stay like this forever. Yeah. And we cut to a lily, and... We pick up with Yurieka saying, that was what I wished for back then, but it was because I knew it was a wish that could never be granted. It's heartbreaking. 
I know it is really rough. We get a little image of Bear Eureka presenting a withered lily, just the bloom of it, not the stem or the rest of the flower, to Rhea, who is now very clearly an adult. And we know it's the adult Bear Eureka because we get a matched shot of adult human Eureka and little Bear Eureka, like right mm-hmm. next to each other. Which, like, the more you go on, the more you can tell Ikuhara is kind of like giving notes on the art direction here. Because mm-hmm. that's a very Ikuhara. If you imagine that as a cut cinematically, that makes so much sense. There's some very, like, directorial shots in these chapters, I would say. Yeah, and it's working really well, despite the fact that this is a static medium. So, you know, mm-hmm. points to him for, for managing to work with the artist to get this style to work in a new medium. Oh, I did you guys check out the interview that I posted some screenshots of in our group chat? Yes. yes. And it mentions that one of the reasons that Ikuhara wanted to do Yurikuma in the first place was uh, because he was inspired by like the art style of the artist who did like the character designs and stuff. I think that that's cute and great. That That is great. I should, I'll maybe if I remember, or if we have time, I will uh, try to read some of this interview uh, in the episode, but if not, I may just save it for next episode. Yep. So Rhea apologizes to little bear Yurieka, even though, because Yurieka just kind of goes, she just kind of confesses her love and Rhea says, I'm sorry. And Oh god, this is so sad. It hits if me every only time. She had noticed. She says, if only I had noticed your feelings back then, and if I had recognized my feelings for you two, our futures would have been different. Polycule. Polycule. Yeah, seriously, like I I forgot how hard they went on this. Yeah. And we get little bear Yurieka, you know, kind of speaking, oh I because little bear Kale is just like napping on Rhea's uh, lap, you know, going like, you know, I wonder who you would have chosen between me and Kale, because you might have struggled to choose. But she wouldn't want her to choose. Yeah, and she just goes, but it's fine. You know, I wouldn't want you to suffer by forcing you to make a decision. I was saved by your smile. Thank you for taking me out of my box. I love you, she says, and she hands the withered lily to Rhea, and it begins to bloom again. She wouldn't have to choose. She has two hands! hands! (laughs) Rhea has two hands! (laughs) Just clap emojis. Yes. That's the title of the episode. Rhea has two hands. Rhea has two hands, but you have to put the clapping emoji between every word. I don't know if I can, but I will give it a shot. (laughs) If you can, you are a coward if you don't. <laughs> you could always tweet out that version. Just so that the could. real ones know. The real ones That's know. True. Yeah, only the OGs. <laughs> I cannot say that. Oh my god. <laughs> now that I've just set myself into cringe hell, Rhea thanks Yurieka and says she loves both of both her and Kale too. And we get a really cool little matched cut between um well matched panel, I should say, between the blooming lily and the pendant that Kale got for her. It's Kale's pendant and notably Yurieka's ribbon. His ribbon. The yeah. one keeping everything together. Yep. <laughs> and we kind of pull out from the little bear sitting, you know, on and around Rhea's lap to see them as adult human beings. And Kale is just kind of like draped across Rhea's lap and like holding her close. And 
Yurieka's on her knees, hugging her. And we're at Sumika's again. This has all been a dream that's been the characters have been reliving in some way. Because Kureha is sitting at the piano at the exact point Rhea was. Kali is across her lap in the same way she was across Rhea's. And Yurieka is holding onto Kureha's hand in the same way she was in the previous page. And Ginko is out cold on the floor while Lulu tends to her. And Sumika is just smiling as she admires her handiwork. And Sumika just watches. So Lulu asks, you know, the very understandable question of what happened? Actually, I can't tell from this panel whether that's Yurika or Lulu asking. You know, I thought it was Yurika, but honestly, like... It could be either of them. And honestly, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, Kale is very confused and asks, like, Hey, Rhea? Nope. Kureha corrects her. I'm Kureha. And everyone kind of begins to realize that, you know, they've, they've had a uh, a dream in the witch house, if you will. Oh, that's the next title of my upcoming hyperpop album. I know, right? So everyone kind of talks through what's happening. We are back at Ginko's house as Yurieka in just, like, what I can only describe as the clothes you wear in a romantic novel set in Europe. <laughs> right? It's it's like I don't even know how to describe it. I mean it I mean it's a, she looks like, like a goddamn Greek goddess kind of thing that I would love to get. Like I want your wardrobe. But yeah, especially because she's carrying these like these cups of tea, so it's got that kind of vibe as well. And they're not and they're not just ordinary cups either. I don't think it's tea. I think it's like something oh, for breakfast. Tea. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw yeah. the tea and it's probably like some rice or something. Yeah, like yeah, porridge or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think notably actually the Greek comparison might not be off there because they're the little containers do look a little bit like Amphora kind of Amphora, right yeah. Word, there's there's many ask. types. There's craters, there's amphoras. Um I think Amphora's yeah. closer here. Yeah, and like because of the loose folds of the clothes, which it fits because we know that both of them have Greek names. Mm-hmm. So this is probably on purpose. And the two of them kind of discuss whether what they saw, first of all, they kind of establish, Kali kind of establishes like, hey, Rhea loved both of us, and she didn't understand what her feelings for us were, and that's the only reason she got married. And Kale kind of assumes that it was like either a dream or like a, you know, a haunting. <laughs> and Yurieka goes, I don't think it was a dream or a ghost or real. I think it was a hallucination. Here's By the way, here's breakfast. <laughs> do self-care or i will leave you but not really because i can't <laughs> yeah <laughs> god damn it oof right in right in abby's feels specifically but also in mine oof <laughs> so the two of them kind of reflect on the fact that apparently ginkgo saw something completely different from the two of them and they kind of wonder if either they were hypnotized or if there's some kind of, like, weird thing about the house that causes people to enter that state. They briefly entertain the idea that they were drugged by Sumika, but they kind of discard it because they're like, nah, that, that, she wouldn't do that. She doesn't seem like the type to use drugs. Yeah, literally, that's what they say. <laughs> and Kale admits she was surprised, which Yurieka says a very, very mean, but very, very <laughs> kind of actually deserved... Really? Because, like, compared to your and Ginko's delusions of being bears, it was nothing. <laughs> Which, like, I don't know if that's a great way to talk to your schizophrenic partner, but I've never had one, so... I, I mean, 
Yeah, this this whole conversation really started to cement for me the strange tonal shift, but it's just like, everything's fine now, we're just making light of your mental illness, and my yeah. own mental illness, and everybody's mental illness, like, what? What the heck? It almost hits that sort of, like, gallows humor specific, like, I'm too, we're, we're both too tired to mm-hmm. kind of treat this seriously thing, but doesn't, at least for my money, didn't quite... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. Like it it does feel like it's trying to go for something, but I just don't buy it the way that they've frankly characterized these characters. I could almost buy it from specifically Eureka, but not Yeah. Yeah, Eureka is is usually a lot less forthcoming, although it is in some ways fitting that if someone was going to be bitter in Caddy, it would be the longest suffering cast member. Yeah. But it's like here it almost struck me as kind of flippant and like a like a joke almost. It's just yeah, like it's yeah. I can't quite pin down the tone here. Yeah, it's not the way she's ever treated Kali's or Ginko's thing before. And I'm I'm gonna assume that she wouldn't do this to Ginko. She's mostly just probably a little cross with Kali still. Yeah. Right rightfully so. <laughs> rightfully so. So, you know, Kali kinda goes, Oh, so if that was all a delusion, then when Rhea said she loved me and you know, Eureka just goes, oh no, that was totally real. She absolutely was so thick-headed, she didn't realize she loved the two of us until after she was married. Which you also knew, right? And it's like, of course Eureka has the emotional maturity to realize exactly what's going on here (laughs) without being able to fundamentally change it, because that is the tragedy of this version of her character. She is the only grown-up in the room, and she's so badly screwed over by her family and the time she spent with Kale without kind of like working to fix that relationship in a way that would have either leaving the relationship or forcing Kale to fix her heart or die (laughs) that like she's fundamentally on kind of unable to change anything god that sorry that that gets me Mm -hmm. yeah no I think that's totally fair it's just her, her character is really heartbreaking in a way that this point in the manga isn't really underscoring very well. It's yeah. It's just like these both of the same characters we saw a few chapters ago. Like there hasn't been that much character development since then. Like one good trip, whatever the <laughs> hell you know, like it was. You know, it doesn't just make that change overnight. <laughs> But yeah, the two of them kind of, at least it's helping the two of them discuss their feelings kind of like adults, which is yeah. novelty for Kale. It truly is. It's, it's again, I can't place it as like, is this character development or is this just inconsistent writing? Like, or bad pacing or like a combination thereof? I don't know. Yeah. So Yurieka reflects on the fact that she's very glad, or Kale is the one who's glad, who admits that like, she hated Rhea for throwing a- her away, even though... You know, she said she loved her, mm-hmm. but she's kind of become happy again with the realization of like what was actually going on. And she's like, it's very weird that I'm feeling this way. And Eureka corrects her and says, it's not weird. You just changed mm-hmm. and kind of points out like, you know, this is something that you you wouldn't have been able to handle in the past, but you've changed over time. And when Kali asks, like, I've changed, she says, not on purpose, which is like (laughs) the most backhanded way of saying you've gained exactly enough emotional maturity to no longer 
feel like you should monopolize Rhea's hands, and you shouldn't give yourself any credit for reaching that point. <laughs> I will say that that line works for me a little better than the one before it. It's yeah. like a strictly better version of the one before it. <laughs> yeah. Because it feels like an actual joke. Yep. And the two of them continue to talk and mention, you know, despite closing off your heart and returning to your box, you were still alive. And when Eureka says, and you still are too, Kale, Kale says, this breakfast tastes good, which Eureka is shocked by a little bit. And that is actually genuine. Oh my God. They just do the full reaction on the next panel. I don't even have to explain it. Mm-hmm. She freaks out because she's like, what the fuck? You know, you don't compliment the food. You don't notice the food. Are you sick? Did you catch Ginko's cold? You don't seem to have a fever. You can taste things again? Did you get over COVID-19? Like, oh my god. Kale kind of holds Yurieka close and, and asks her, you know, first of all, she does the one thing she should have been doing this whole time and thanks her for staying as long as she already has and begs her to keep staying with her, which... In any other circumstance, I would kind of feel like this is a clingy, shitty thing for her to do, because we know that this is a relationship that's fucked up Yuriyaka's life a little bit. But I will give the story this. One of the things that's kind of framed as being the problem with Kale is that she lives sort of outside of actual reality. She is... The ways she is shitty all come from being detached and flighty and Mm -hmm. unable to really think about the consequences of her behavior or the way she is affecting other people or, you know, even noticing like basic things in front of her. So there's something to the idea of this is actually forward momentum for her that she's not fixed per se. But the version of her we're seeing here is a version of her who's making forward momentum because she is able to authentically kind of for the first time engage with what kind of relationship she and Eureka have. And I don't know if that's a good thing for them going forward in the sense that like they should definitely stay together, but it's it's something to be hopeful about at least that maybe there will be a version of these two who will not be just absolute where Kali will not be an absolute drain on Yurieka, and Yurieka won't be like, you know, this woman's mom for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. Oof, yeah. And we get a very sweet little sequence where the two of them talk about the fact Yurieka admits she loved Rhea, and Kale mentioned, and, you know, kind of continues by saying, back then I only loved Rhea, but... And she just gives Kali a tender little kiss on the bridge of her nose and it's so cute and i'm a little bit overwhelmed by how sweet this is yeah okay i'm not gonna lie i have to admit um this kale yurieka progression is working for me (laughs) even though like i know kale's terrible and they really like there hasn't been that much actual character growth here but like i I don't know, man. Like, it, even like, there's a, they have another scene later in the chapters we're going to be talking about, and like, something about it is just working for me. <laughs> I'm going to throw this out there that I think one of the things that's this manga's consistent strength is its character designs. And mm. they're that kind of really good character design that just you have empathy for this character and like this character almost despite yourself. 
like especially Akale, her character design and the way that she is drawn and emotes is so compelling that I keep having to remind myself that she has been largely kind of mediocre at best. Garbo. Yeah. She is a trash queen. I mean, it was interesting for me. It's like, I think spacing it out how we have and, you know, revisiting it. I'll have to see, like, the last chunk we read. Mm -hmm. um, Because I just kind of reread to refresh my memory for today. I mean, I still have that bitterness in me because, like, I would be nothing without staying behind my guns for my girl Eureka, who, frankly, deserves much better than this. But at the same time, I do, especially in terms of the characters I'm too, you mean, I'm like, the, the panels are just so lovingly drawn. Like, it's it's hard not to sympathize and kind of, like, feel like, oh, they're both moving past it and they're both, you know, being healthy. But it's one of those things, this is where the manga starts to lose me in a sense that it's like, mm-hmm. they've been so toxic. And I, I think I'd rather them just lean into that toxicity, right, than just try to make mm-hmm. it seem like everything's fine and dandy. Yeah. I do like the idea of, that you know maybe they could be friends and kind of get over it i just do not think they should be in a relationship together they probably ideally ideally no but it's it's a manga it's and it's a yuri manga so (laughs) like they can they can be happy they can make some little lesbian out there happy that won't be me (laughs) but you be happy it'll probably be me i'm gonna be honest because i'm very into this exact kind of trash pairing but me and Cass, unfortunately appreciating Kale Yurieka, hand and unlovable hand. <laughs> and class B meme. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, we do get, like, another lovely little more abstract sequence. On this the is really page. nice. This is a really good use of the bears, I think. Like, yeah. yes. So we get a little image of Rhea helping little bear Yurieka out of a treasure box. And, you know, the two of them embracing. And then little bear Yurieka putting lilies on Rhea's grave as she stands next to Kale's box. And Kale's little bear self comes out of the box and Yurieka's like, hey, are you coming out? Yeah. So how's the outside world? And Kale says, it's really pretty, just like Rhea. And we get a cut to the two of them as their teenage selves and their hands just like tentatively moving toward each other to grasp each other as I think this is supposed to be Kale's thoughts, but it could be either of theirs. And that's probably the point. Rhea taught, taught me about the beauty in the world. Everything I see before me is a gift from her and will continue to live within. Tender lesbian hand touching. I, I do want to bring this up. This is a literal reversal of how Kale thought through the whole, when she wrote the little children's book where the bear eats, you know, the forest girl. Mm-hmm. kind of her idea was like in order to keep someone's love you have to just devour them and put them deep inside you mm-hmm. whereas she's kind of this is a literal 180 she's kind of now conceptualizing herself as being in some way entirely contained within the love Rhea left for them mm-hmm. so I will I will say this if there's one other thing that's giving us hope for like a less trash version of Kale. The fact that she's conceptualizing the world in this way that's so radically different from the way she did before, I don't think it means she's not toxic anymore, but it does mean mm-hmm. she's no longer in that same place she was in before, where mm-hmm. she's she growing. Going, yeah, where she's yeah. going to continue like doing almost murders to try and get her old high school crush to kill her. 
I do also want to note that we have the spelling on the grave as Leia, which I do assume here is probably the art, like, you know, the, the Japanese spelling. And all I can think of is the Utenamonga, where they spelled Jury's name with a Y. In the locket! In the locket. Ah! <laughs> I've almost forgotten about same, that. It's the same curse hey. ending. I spelled it with a Y for a long time. Pain and suffering. Pain and suffering. Oh god, why is this panel just destroying me this way? It's so sweet. Continuing the thoughts from the previous page, Kali and Eureka wish that they could stay like this forever. Or rather, we are echoing Eureka's wish from earlier that the Mm -hmm. three of them could stay this way forever, together forever. And the thoughts pick up, Hey Rhea, we finally made our wish from that time come true. Ah! No! She's dead it's so sweet i'm going to gag i'm very very sad Rhea's ghost had better hold both of their hands really hard and to uplift you <laughs> on the next page the most powerful splash in the entire manga Who, who's gonna take this chapter who wants to tell us what this splash page is I think, I don't know who wants to take the chapter, but Alice has to describe this splash page. Alice, tell me about what, what this image is. Okay, have you ever heard of the band Striper? Um, <laughs> no, but I hope Oh no, I know where this is that. going! Listener, listener, beloved listener, I want you to look up, stop listening briefly, and look up the band Striper. I'm and what they actually right look like. And that's Striper with a Y, listeners. Striper with a Y. Yellow and Black Attack of the best, worst band in Christian metal, Striper of the 80s. Uh, They used to throw Bibles off the stage. Anyway, the splash page is what if the boy bears were trying to be like a really poppy version of them. But also Christmas themed. But also somehow inexplicably Christmas themed. Well, it's because they're Christian. They're putting the Christ in Christmas. <laughs> Life's sexy at the Council of Nicaea. Like, <laughs> fucking flying off the fucking rail to back Hell up St. Nicholas. Hell is empty and all the bears are here. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's both baffling and, and upsetting. <laughs> but 8 out of 10 I would like to give a special shout out to Life Beauty's adorable absolutely adorable Femi I'm going to assume this is Mrs. Ca- Claus cosplay <laughs> it is adorable it is a look also double shout out to Life Sexy who inexplicably well, not inexplicably is shirtless and just looks exactly like what I would describe to someone if I said Alice is right. This is a glam rock cover. He's got some some toga energy with his shirt off. Oh, he does. I want Life Sexy, but he's Santa Claus, but also he's that guy who's the lead singer of the band The Darkness. (laughs) Don't do this to The Darkness. They already got what they deserved. Look, I'm just saying Life Sexy believes in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythm of your heart. (laughs) (sighs) And they're wishing us a very, 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 very Christmas. Because of course. Why did we do this in December? That would have, <laughs> I, if I only I had known, that would have been topical. 
We should have just, like, put our plans on hold, and during Christmas, when we were visiting you, the four of us should have gotten together, called Abby, and done an entire episode on just this splash page. <laughs> just this page. We talked for an hour. Ten-minute Chapo-style It's a Patreon exclusive. I honestly, I feel like we've been talking about this page four or five minutes anyway, so we're, ha- like, not that all far right. off. Let me, alright, let me, let me do the now. rest of this chapter. Okay, so we start with Chipmunk Girl, who is... No, this isn't Chipmunk Girl. Chipmunk Girl comes uh, later. To be fair, there are two of them, and they both look like Chipmunk. It's Yuri Zono. Mitsuko. I thought she was Mitsuko. Mitsuko Yuri Zono, that's her name. Oh, okay. So it's Yuri Zono. She is... It's just kind of setting up that she's a class representative for Class 1A. This four-eyed girl is Sumika. She's looking at a picture of Sumika on her phone. Which is a very normal thing to have. They apparently went to the same middle school. Her small and slender fe- figure, gentle and soft gaze, and relaxing cute voice have caused many of the students here to adore her. Normal heterosexual thoughts. Oh yeah, extremely normal. I'd feel the same way if I didn't know her little secret. Dun, dun, past, she was feared as the witch of the bear house. We get this um, over a little bear, a little teddy bear with glowy eyes and a candle. Anthe energy. Yeah, it is kind of. That is Anthea as a bear. <laughs> it really yes. is. As a side note, Sumika goes from having basically zero character on purpose to being just like, what if Anthea was all of the same weirdness and none of the others, everything what else What if Anthea was just nice? What if Anthea was just nice, but also equally just as weird and inexplicable? Yes. What I, what I mean is just nice instead of like, nice, yeah. but also secretly a little evil. <laughs> Nice parentheses. Nice parentheses derogatory. (laughs) (laughs) A bear witch with strange powers who could curse and manipulate people, which, I mean, we have seen something to suggest she can manipulate people. This is the chipmunk girl. They're both chipmunk girls. Konomi expressly has little chipmunk teeth when we see her open her mouth later. Back in middle school, she made my friend disappear. They never found her body. And recently, my classmate, Kuriya Tsubaki, Ginko, oh, classmates, Kuriya Tsubaki, Ginko, and Lulu, you're, and Lulu Ginko, you're also, have also disappeared. I'm sure it's Sumika's work. That's reasonable to think. <laughs> and she's just like, so she's basically stalking her while uh, Sumika is doing the very insidious thing of doing her evil chores, like her evil gardening. Evil gardening. <laughs> doing burdock root. Should I know what burdock root is used for? Yeah, it's used a lot in traditional Japanese cuisine. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's okay. like, yeah, you just, you cut it up and cook it. I'm sure I've seen people use that in Iron Chef Japan. <laughs> you have, actually. And so we get Lulu in, in full maid regalia. With the long sleeves, because it's chilly. Bought the tofu and is that supposed to be cognac? No, if you look at my notes, I have included an explanation as to what you look at your notes. It's cognac. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce this, but yeah, I also I thought it was cognac at first. Oh, it's like a potato slash yam sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, it's like a tuber. Okay, that's cool. So she's shot to see Lou because Lou is still alive. Burdock root and cognac. Maybe she's going to make kimpira, I think it's that word. Kimpira. It's very small. Kimpira. Which is sliced burdock root and other ingredients stewed in soy sauce and sugar. Honestly, that sounds really dope. Perhaps she'll use ginger to top the tofu. 
Although boiled tofu would warm you up better since it's cold out. She just has like a long extended her trying to figure out what this she's they're making because she's obviously hungry. She is just yeah. thinking very hard about what they're going to do with this food. Like towards the end, she starts being like ejecting her own preferences. Like, you know, but really I prefer adding chrysanthemums and birataki noodles to make mine. Like blah, 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 blah. She likes to make hers like sukiyaki. Yeah. And interrupting this frankly fascinating line of discussion, uh, Lulu mentions that Kareha wanted Napolitan. Nap- you're going to say it for me, Cass. Kareha wanted Napolitan. Napoleon. Thank you. I've always messed up that word. I also I have a, an explanation for this, too, in my notes. It is a popular Japanese pasta dish consisting of spaghetti, tomato ketchup or a tomato-based sauce, onion, button mushrooms, green peppers, sausage, bacon, and optionally Tabasco sauce. This sounds disgusting because I hate ketchup. Okay, so I actually know about this one because of Cass. The tomato, so there. First off, uh, Japanese tomato ketchup is often different than the one the kind we use. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, uh, it's it's a very it's like Japanese mayo. It's like yeah. Oh no wonder they uh, there are so many recipes that like Japanese recipes that call for ketchup. So I'm like, I hate ketchup. This dish is is something of an old school comfort dish, and it's actually from the late 40s and early 50s. Of course, it, Kureha wants to eat it. It has its origins in the occupation of Japan by the Allies. When there were like not quite food, like famine level shortages, but there were shortages of a lot of different ingredients and British and American soldiers who were around brought with them a lot of culinary ideas and wanted food that places nearby started serving because they could get money. And one of those ideas was the Americanized version of spaghetti and tomato sauce or meatballs and so you get uh, spaghetti napolitan or napolitan pasta, whatever you want to call it, as a kind of what if we did that, but with stuff that was cheap and easy for us to source with here, mm-hmm. just from the corner store kind of style. Yeah, this definitely feels like an everything but the kitchen sink dinner. Yeah, it, remi- it reminds me a little bit of uh, a lot of Cajun cooking and this kind of idea of like Cajun cooking is very similar to French, but like what if you only had five dollars to feed six people yeah (laughs) kind of way but yes it's a thing it's interesting and i wonder if it is good but i will try to make it one day and i will probably not like it but i will try anyway ginger can't have it because she can only eat honey porridge which is the actual joke there yeah you'd think that she would she would be like wait that means that korea is alive but instead she's just really mad about burdock root and napoleon and like <laughs> really, yeah. really invested in how they're going to cook this thing. Uh, as Lulu starts talking about how she's prepped things, so it won't take too long to cook. And it's interesting how the food we normally eat can be made into medicine. And we get a little bit from Sumika here, which honestly kind of sells the witch vibe. She talks about um, detoxing with burdock tea, making cooling pack with tofu, warm yourself with a slab of boiled kanchiku. My grandma taught me how to treat a cold using them. Like, full gravity stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll learn a little more about Sumika's grandmother later. Because we find out that Ginko has a fever. And that she's, probably Lulu here, but it's unclear, is hoping that um, Ginko's fever goes down soon. 99.1 Fahrenheit, which is not the highest fever, but it's not very good. But it's gone down. It was higher. It's gone down. Um, she is apparently getting better. And that Sumika's been taking care of her. 
and Kuriha thanks her for, you know, taking care of Kinko. And she insists that she's not really doing much. Kinko's body is working hard to heal itself. And then in the middle of this, Kinko calls out to Kuriha kind of weakly. And they just have this moment of like her calling for Kuriha and Kuriha being like, I'm here and holding her hand. And Sumika quietly smiles and, and leaves out the door while a very, still very made mode, Lulu is asking her about how much pasta did she, does she think she can eat. And Sumika's like, oh, since Kinko's feeling better, I think I'm going to go home. Isn't this your house? It was my grandma's house before she passed away. I stayed here to look after the bears she left behind, but my older brothers told me I should go home sometimes. You have older brothers? Plot twist in. <laughs> Mitsuko's like, wait, she has brothers? This this bit is weird. I'm just going to say it now. This bit is weird. They're not actually her brothers. They just live in the same neighborhood. They're my older cousins. Which I get, like, she probably refers to them as, like, her Nissans, and that's why yeah. we get the the brother thing, but it just doesn't yeah. work in English the same way. And so we are greeted by the literal, actual... Life boys! Bear court bears, and big paws, and bear ears, and all the stuff they have in the anime. Welcome home, Suvika. We've been... Waiting for you with a. They're doing a full-on Oran High School host club greeting. Yeah, it's really. And she's unperturbed by this. She says, "I'm home. We were so lonely without you, but we see each other at school every day." And Mitsuka, who's been uh, following them, sees this and is pretty understandably bewildered outside. She calls them the student council weirdos, and I love it. That's right. Our roles as the student council members are but mere facades. Our true forms are life sexy, life cool, life beauty. And they I literally do the pose, like their their weird little pose behind her couch as they announce themselves to be her older cousins. I just want to point out that one of them is like JoJo posing. Full yes. on voguing. It, it kind of reminds me of that episode of Sailor Moon when they're all in the house and, <laughs> and they're panda knows exactly what I'm mm-hmm, talking about. Mm-hmm. It's Soggy's wings just knocking everything yes. out. <laughs> Tamika points out that if the being student count students and also student council members is a facade, doesn't that imply that their main occupation is being her cousins? <laughs> it's just really funny. She's very unperturbed by this. Yeah, this is this is pretty normal to her. She's sitting very happily, just little sparkles everywhere. She's just kind of fine with it. So cute. Arizona's brain is just kind of stopped and rebooting outside. She just. Why bears? Why are they so weird? And also, why are they bears? Is life a popular name? <laughs> Just literally bringing back the gag from the Omake, where everyone's like, wait, that's their actual surname? So she decides it's obviously an illusion. Sumika is, of course, a bear witch. Did she curse me to see bears because she noticed me while I was following her? And then she busts into Sumika's house uninvited while... So he was finally asking her cousins why they are actually dressed like bears, which if you're curious, they're doing it because they thought she would enjoy it because she likes bears. And supposedly, and this is inexplicable, they are popular bears, that is, with girls. We, um, it's, I'm sorry, um, we, they, because it's popular girls, they added a butler element. They, they literally did a host club greeting for her, is the joke. I sure. don't know that I ever associated their outfits with butlers. 
I definitely did not. I did because they're supposed to look like hosts. Yeah, no, that's fair, I guess. I just but, thought I never made that connection. Anyway, you're just on a barge's end, and it's like, I won't be tricked by your illusions. Wah! Don't play dumb. And her eyes looking vaguely, um, just, a, just a little um, Higurashi-like. Gotta reset the time since we've <laughs> mentioned Higurashi counter. Mentions that it's terrifying, <laughs> but I was, I'm glad I was able to confirm your powers with my own eyes. I wasn't expecting you to show me such a ridiculous bear. She thinks she's hallucinating now. And also, she has offended them. They're like, you're so rude. We're not ridiculous, <laughs> even though they are ridiculous. She's legitimately scared here, her legs are trembling, and accuses Sumika directly of making her friend disappear. And then the rest of our classmates started acting strange. It's because you were manipulating them, wasn't it? We weren't friends, Sumika says. No, it's a different voice. It is a surprise voice from off page. And who is it? But... Your jacuzzi was reflected by my (laughs) jacuzzi. It's Konomi! Yeah, I totally didn't remember this character when she showed up, if I'm honest. (laughs) I really like her character design, so that's why I remembered her. But I definitely had to Google some of them later. (laughs) She has a little like Emma promised Neverland like Yeah, yeah. Kind of. she does. Yeah. Maybe not the second season of that anime that never got made. Yeah, too bad it never got made. What a shame. She gives her argument, which is that not only were they not ever friends, but that Irizono's the one who used her manipul who manipulated everyone into acting strange. She introduces herself as Konomi and says she was classmates with Mitsuko in middle school. And then, of course, the life sexy guys go, the life whatever guys go immediately into bear court mode, but this time with like actual defendant and accused. Did y'all forget about bear court? I almost forgot about bear court. I totally forgot about bear court. Can you all like hear the soundtrack for bear court in your head playing? Yeah. While this sets up? Because I can. Yeah. But I do love how they managed to get the whole vibe of the animated sequences crunched into one bottom left corner panel mm-hmm. for this page. It's really great. I also love that like the the defendant and accuser are like facing each other and poor Konami's just like standing in between them like why am I even here? <laughs> Life sexy going like what is the truth? We shall judge. You cannot do that after admitting that you do this as a joke. <laughs> and that's actually where the chapter ends. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. So yeah, for our chapter 24, we have Konomi and Uchiko again. Another character I had to Google. <laughs> if you showed them to me in a lineup and asked me what your Ikuma characters they were, I would be like, they probably are in this manga. <laughs> Their character designs are very cute, but just we really have not seen them in no. I don't know how long. Anyways, so it's them being very cute. There's Lidley's in the background. Pretty par for the chorus illustration, honestly. Like, pretty simple. But we begin the chapter rather dramatically with uh, Life Sexy banging a gavel. We have our little bear court. And Life Sexy, you know, calls for the bear witch trials to begin. (laughs) My brain just went Blair Witch Project as Bear Witch. I'm glad. I I definitely, like, had to stop myself. I'm like, Blair Witch Trials. The Bear Witch Project. The Bear Witch Project. I mean, that's like basically what that one chapter was. <laughs> and we find out that Mitsuko is um, prosecuting the defendant Sumika for being a Bear Witch. Again, this plot beat just, it sure does totally exist. 
Yeah. This plot beat is so weird, and I don't understand why this is here other than to include things from the anime. That's definitely the vibe that I got, that they were just like, okay, the bear court was a really big deal, so we need to shove it in here somehow, but we'll do it with characters that don't really matter that much, so... Like, it's connected to the Kureha, and... Well, it's mostly just connected to Kureha and stuff, but, like, honestly, not really. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just gonna say it, I think this is in here almost entirely to backfill the why Sumika... Why Sumika's house does what it does. Uh, I mean, yeah. It, like, this, this, is... this is here to explain why Sumika and her, like, healing powers and such. This is where we get all the explanation are. for that. Yeah, this is. It really is. So this is like, why are all of these characters going to the, the witch house and having, like, these dreams that, like, bring them into contact with the, the tragedies of their past? Here's the closest thing you'll get to an explanation. Also, here's an anime cameo for everyone who liked that. Okay, bye! <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so Life Sexy continues asking Sumika, or it's asked if it's true if Mitsuka, Mitsuko is accusing Sumika of using her magical abilities to manipulate Mitsuko's friend and cause her to disappear. Mitsuko's like, yep, that's that's correct. It's very formal. Then Life Sexy asks Sumika if she pleads guilty to her accusations and she doesn't because she says she isn't a bear witch and life cool says that it's true her classmates dwindled in numbers either through transferring or studying abroad but um causing them to disappear he says is inappropriate as an expression to describe what happened so we get into the semantics here for sure um, Mitsuko says it isn't natural that they left without saying goodbye because she was their friend so therefore Sumika must have erased them very correlation does not create causation <laughs> here Mitsuko Life Beauty says objection all of my problems are this one guy and if I could just beat him up I would solve them all yeah we have some Ace Attorney energy here and you know Life Beauty's like we have evidence to the contrary and they call Konomi other character um, who her little like hair thing is pretty cute. Um, mm-hmm. with little leaves. Call her to the stand. Um, and she claims it was Mitsuko who was actually manipulating their classmates, and that she had harassed Sumika and isolated her from the rest of the class. And because the rest of the class was scared, they obeyed her. And if they went against Sumika, they would become targets themselves. And Mitsuko chastises Konomi for wanting to blame her for their actions. Um, and Sumika is just completely oblivious to all of this it's pretty cute it's really like cute. she's just he was harassing me. was she was she really harassing me like she's i relate honestly like just sumika over here like miss me with that <laughs> shit yeah she's just in her own world and doesn't really care about these petty things which is you know just i really like her character in the manga honestly like she's a bit strange but in an endearing way and i think she gets like pretty decent development over the course of the manga it's like they take the idea of her naivety from the anime where like she's very easily manipulated in the anime into setting up stuff that will hurt kareha later and here in the manga it's like what if the same levels of naivety but instead of being like her fatal flaw it's her superpower exactly it just allows her to like ride on there's a character she reminds me of and it's probably too specific of a reference for me to go into until the episode's over but i will bring that up to you all at the end so remind me okay i look forward to it put a pin in that anyway so as it continues um mitsuko 
gets really mad and she's furious that Sumiha can barely remember. She calls her an airhead for not knowing she was being targeted. Everybody ignored Sumiha and bullied her and tried to break her. We get a flashback to Konami and Uchiko in a little garden. And we have Konami just like so itchy and it's because, you know, her face has um, been touched by a poisonous caterpillar. Yeah, she she goes to like, she's gonna cut the flowers up to mess with Sumika and then I guess she got stung by a poisonous caterpillar. Yep, it's pretty, pretty unfortunate. But Sumika just shows up and realizes what's must have happened. And she says they'll need to pull out the stingers and cool her face down right away. But luckily her grandmother has a super effective ointment in her house, so Konami will be fine. Then the next day, Konami transferred schools. Again, correlation. She was so embarrassed she left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, hold on a moment. Are we sure that Sumika isn't just actually Ampy? And she planted <laughs> that poisonous caterpillar there. She's just oblivious <laughs> to being Anthe. Like, she has all of Anthe's powers and these things just happen and she's just like, huh? <laughs> I don't remember doing that. But well, I we, need to, we, need to, we need to see her cook just to like really make any conclusions. I know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Konami says it wasn't just her either, that people who interacted with Sumika slowly started to change. And over time, because of this, Mitsuko lost control over the class. Mitsuko demands, you know, I want to know the truth about you. What powers do you use to control people's hearts? Recently, you've even taken Kuriha Tsubaki prisoner. Very, very strong words. And Sumika just says simply she doesn't have the power to control hearts. Everyone changed to their own will. Which kind of goes back to our conversation about Kale and and, um, Yurika and kind of their conversation as well. She says in the depths of their hearts they found precious things they'd been about to forget. You know, such as emotions evoked by loved ones, their own true feelings. You get these sweet little panels at the top kind of flashing back to Milne and Lulu and our, our OG Thruple as well. <laughs> and yeah, so she says, like, you know, these powers allowed them to open doors and change their worlds. And all Sumika did was give them the opportunity to do so. And she says straight up, for the record, this is this isn't a court of law. It isn't magic. And she laughs. Under threat of perjury. Yep. This is not magic. She giggles. She says that she does wish she was a witch. That way, you know, the way Mitsuko says she is. If so, and then our tone shifts, if she could use magic, she could use it to make Kureha love her back. They were able to become friends, but but Kureha loves Ginkgo. And even though she knew that, she thought everything would be worth it to see Kureha smile, but she's crying. It's a very sweet little shoujo beat. Her, I just really like her character design. She's one of those, like, glasses characters we get who doesn't just get the whole, like, she's not just a nerd. Like, she's weird, but she's not just a nerd, and she doesn't get the whole, take the glasses off and you're so much prettier, which I always appreciate. Yeah. She's, she's, she's very Abby- Mm-hmm. Abby, if you don't mind my saying so, Sumika's character design is kind of like when you had short hair and if somebody took you and like put you through like a moe filter. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah. My, yeah, yeah. Class is a little different if my bangs actually laid straight, but it does actually. Maybe that's why I'm just like, <laughs> her baby hair makes me feel comfortable somehow. <laughs> Congratulations, Abby. How do you feel about having an anime persona now? Oh, I mean... These are trustworthy bangs. 
They they are. I I mean I think that I could do far worse to be quite honest. Um <laughs> especially when it comes to Megane characters in anime. Yeah. Oof. And we swap back to the life boys in a remarkably this kitchen's really nice. Like I know yeah. this house is big, but like damn. They're talking it's a about island and everything. Yeah, preparing food. It's a, a giant thing. Good God. I'm so jealous of I this know. kitchen. Yeah, like, I didn't really look at it that hard last time, but I'm like, damn, I want that kitchen. And they're making, like, hot pot, I think. Shabu shabu. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. It looks. Uh, of course they're making shabu shabu because Life Sexy always says shaba dabu or whatever. Shaba do. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, shaba do. I want shabu shabu. That aside, um, they talk about Itsuko and how, as class representative, she seems to have a strong sense of morals, but it turns out she was hiding a horrible personality. She's probably the one who started this bear witch rumor to begin with. And apparently they find out now that their grandmother was a natural therapist who studied traditional medicine and medicinal herbs, used hypnosis, for instance, to cure some troubled patients, and Sumika was always by her side, so she picked up these skills and this knowledge and may have even surpassed their grandmother is what they say. She can completely read people with very little information. So she's she's an empath, basically. <laughs> Sumika is a TV psychic if cold reading was an actual superpower. Yeah, pretty much. Using conversation, gestures, lighting, sound, she can use her surroundings and put people into a trance and hypnotize them until they start to hallucinate. So this is our explanation for all the things people have seen. Which would make sense, yeah. Because like- yeah. It is consistent, actually, with what they did in earlier chapters, because when when everyone runs into the house in the previous chapters, like, Sumika does deliberately kind of do this weird, you know, follow me down the hallway bit, and kind of, like, move them into a room with a very particular lighting arrangement, which we see her mm-hmm. setting up. And when Lulu came over, she deliberately let you know, the aroma candle, and there's just enough there to go, like, she is definitely actually doing stuff in all of those scenes. Although yeah. it is bullshit to say that isn't magic, because this is not how hypnosis works. <laughs> and in the Yuri Kumaverse, evidently it is. That's their excuse, and they're sticking to it. Fair enough. Yeah, Life Beauty is saying how he always knew that Sumiko was a genius. Life Cool says she would have been targeted by a witch hunt in medieval Europe. Very very practical <laughs> and they wonder why sumika came home so suddenly and life beauty notes that kuriha must have turned her down they feel bad for her their little sumika has fallen in love and become an adult and life sexy's like you know wishing he could make her smile again and so naturally the conclusion is he's gonna marry sumika himself and everybody else is like no way guilty it's pretty comic. Yeah. I feel like this panel really shows how much this artist's strengths lie in drawing girls. <laughs> because yeah, he looks so weird here. It's like the strange I love, angles. I love the reaction shot of Life Beauty and Life Cool, though, as they just go like, what the mm-hmm. fuck are you talking about? No! <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, it is. It's really really comical and you know we have this kind of banter you know we may be cousins but i don't think that's a problem i'm innocent heart i will seriously kill you overruled overruled guilty, guilty. i i i jail that is is the one threatening to kill him oh my god <laughs> off to horny jail with you and we have in this other room mitsuko and sumika are sitting on the couch 
Sumika thanks Mitsuko because thanks to her, she was finally able to cry about the situation with Kureha. She's sad, but she's still glad she's able to meet and fall in love with her. And we get a bit of the kind of like, I guess, Sundere vibes from Mitsuko saying how Asuka vibes. very big Asuka vibes continuing. Um, that Sumika seriously annoys her, you know. She was totally fine when Mitsuko pointedly ignored her, but she's bawling because Kureha rejected her. She tells Sumika to hurry up and get over herself and get back to laughing like an idiot like she always does, which, you know, in this context is basically a confession of love. Mm -hmm. And Mitsuko's flustered, gets up and starts to storm off. Sumika stops her and tells her not to go yet. She says she thought that Mitsuko was being a bully, but she really is twisted. (laughs) So that's that's such a nice phrase. And don't you mean, but you really are a nice person? No, nope, not at all. She's just to the point. And we have the life boys interrupting again, trying to declare their love for Sumika, but they also say they're having simmered beef and tofu. Mitsuko is like, well, I prefer, I prefer sukiyaki. But Sumika says they should eat together. And that's how we end the chapter with like a little, I guess, love story between the two of them. I'm not sure what to make of what is going on between the two of them. I get the sense it's like a budding potential romance between these side characters that they just thought they'd throw in we just think they're neat <laughs> that's exactly that's... the energy yeah I, I don't feel one way or the other about it tbh yeah. i you know it is actually very funny to me specifically because in the anime yuri Zono is a recurring presence as like what ginkgo could turn into if she gives into the toxic elements of her young love mm-hmm. up to and including being ginkgo's weird horny murder energy And in the manga, we just get her cameoing as this absolute doofus of a class present of a uh, a class Class representative parody. Yeah, just builds up to what seems like it could be a serious story and almost is. And then it's actually just like, no, you, you stalked. You were big gay for this weird girl in your class and you stalked her like a fourth grader who wants to pull the pigtails of the person she likes. You guys know that tweet that's like, one time I had a crush on a girl and I wrote her a letter and told her to leave my school. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's going to me. <laughs> hey, hey, Panda, you remember the thing you said to me jokingly once about why you liked Cody Cambria? I understand. No, I don't. You sang that little bit from one of the Volume Camper songs. Oh, <laughs> I understand what you mean now. <laughs> oh yeah, I uh, have no luck with girls. It's okay, but I'm not on an actual recording. I will tell you something that is just as cringy, and you will feel better. <laughs> <laughs> unlike you, I'm not going to do it on a recording because I'm not unlike a fool. me, you're not going to just blabber all of your life story out onto the internet. Somebody's, somebody's it's okay, it. I will confess enough cringe about Alice to fill novels if she lets me. Only if you want to die. <laughs> if I die in your arms, there will be no fate more seemly and more sweet. Alice materializes with a knife. <laughs> Dolce et Decorum is not est in this particular case. Oh. <laughs> uh, continue. Sorry. Oh my god. So we we're on chapter 25, which is, I guess, where the la- the last chapter we're doing tonight. Mm-hmm. And we have as our splash page, uh, our title page, Ginkgo in her bear costume, floating in Yuri space in the fetal position as lilies fall all around her. Which, 
it's a literal fetal position because it's a matched beat to you know ginkgo reflecting on the fact that she remembers she has prenatal memories of coming into contact with kareha and her memory begins to pick up with that point where Rhea embraced kale and told her you know don't forget that we love both of you very much and the last thing she remembers is Rhea saying i love you and then she gets a phone call and i assume that when she gets the phone call it sounds like yes i was just thinking that i mean it's literally the um the little hexagon on the call screen is the call mm-hmm. challenge from the wall of severance thing Mm-hmm. You know, the Wall of Severance is not something that we have seen. Yeah. Speaking of which, who could be calling Ginko but Kale? Uh, Ginko is back at home, first of all. Or it looks like to me like she's back at home. I me. No, I don't think she's at her house. No, I you're think. right, because you can see Sumika's bear collection in mm-hmm. one of the panels. And also it comes up in this conversation. Ginko, my daughter, I've called you here. You know why. You have to complete <laughs> the boss's will. Fucking hell, Alice. Not everything is Metal Gear. Mm, most things are Metal Gear. Fair enough. So, picking up from that, it is, in fact, Kali on the phone. And when Ginko asks, you know, what do you want? Kali goes, I forgot to tell you something. I love you. You are my precious daughter. And Ginko has her brain break a little bit because this is probably one of the first times she's ever had this kind of positive reinforcement from her mother. In this years. is like the nicest thing Kale has ever said to her. And Kale goes, hey, Ginko, I'm the one who should be responsible for Rhea's death. There's no need for you to, to suffer. I hope you find happiness. And as Kale finishes saying that, Yurika takes the phone from her and asks Ginko if she's feeling better. And, you know, how's your fever, which has gone away. And Eureka actually looks much happier than we've seen her in any other part of the manga that isn't a flashback in this panel. Eureka and Kale are on gay vacation right now. Yeah. yeah. They are like, they are living, they are, they are thriving, there are <laughs> palm trees. You can see at the bottom corner of that panel they are holding hands while have uh yurieka is talking on the phone to ginko i wish um, i were this photogenic when i'm like you know flirting with my wife <laughs> <laughs> she's also like as much as we've usually seen her with her hair up as an adult you know she still has her hair up but it's kind of coming down and like loose it's a lot looser yeah Even her bangs are a lot less like distinct and they're kind of it's a lot more relaxed yeah she seems pretty chill her expression's a little more open the art's beautiful like mm-hmm. i think she looks beautiful enough. like this and ginko apologizes for worrying them and eureka's just like no nah, it's cool ginko explains she's going back to school tomorrow and eureka's just like ah oh, we better hurry home i gotta do work i gotta do my job yeah and they kind of confirm that Ginko is, in fact, still at Sumika's. And, you know, they Eureka asks if she's going to come home. Ginko, that she's still thinking about it. And Eureka's just like, do what makes you comfortable. And Ginko tells Eureka that she's glad she's happy now. We see Kale draped across Eureka's lap. In exactly the position she was in when they were, you know, young and sleeping on Rayo's lap. And, you know, Ginko goes... Tells Eureka she's glad she's happy now. And Eureka confirms she's been happy ever since she met Rhea in the bear house. And 
let me see. I'm trying to remember who is speaking. Yeah. Yurika is asking Ginko for a favor. Yeah, Yurika asks Ginko for a favor and says, Hey, I gave Rhea a copy of Kale's book as a present. And Ginko's like, the one with the bears in the forest? And Eureka goes, yep, but I selfishly ripped out the last few pages and kept them on a desk in my desk in the principal's office. I know it's late, but can you give them to Kareha? And when Ginko confirms that she will do this, Eureka also mentions, by the way, I also have one of Rhea's uh, mementos I was holding on to. And she drops her drink. <laughs> yep. And Ginko asks what's wrong, what's wrong. And apparently Kale has just gotten like, Hey, I'm bored of listening to you just talk sad talk. I'm going to kiss you now. <laughs> Ginko is just hearing the two of them. <laughs> Ginko's face. Yurika's having to do like, no, I'm fine. I'm totally not getting crawled all over. Yeah, there's just hearts all over all of these panels. Like, yeah. Yeah. Honeymoon vibes, which good for them, I, I guess. I still, yeah. I'm still mad, but like good for them. <laughs> yeah, you're valid. I do oh. love this little sh- the re- little reaction shot of Ginko with who's got like the little like you know all white eyes and the little, little bear, bear things. Yeah, it's just full on bear face. Me seeing reading this, just like <laughs> <laughs> they're Abby doing her what? Bear face wide. Ugh. But yeah, like. Kali and Eureka banter back and forth about like, hey, can you can you not do this in the middle of an important call? And Kali going like, this moment in time is probably more important than the past, though, right? And she picks up the phone and tells Ginko, hey, Ginko, go find your happiness just like the two of us. Talk to you later. I love you. And Ginko's brain breaks and she yeets her phone and she just goes, fucking, I hope you go you damn bears in heat, go mate for eternity and never come back. Just deeply mad that the two of them were that horny on the call. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kureha shows that she has remarkable outfielding talent as she just catches the phone in one hand like a goddamn flyball. <laughs> True athlete here. <laughs> and... She, as she and Lulu j- managed to walk into the room just in time to save Ginko from having to find out what the right to repair looks like on whatever <laughs> iPhone knockoff she has. Ginko apologizes for yeeting the phone and you know, they kind of ask, hey, like, did you get into a fight with your mom? You know, you guys had just made up. She's, Ginko's just like, fuck, I'm never going to get along with my mom. <laughs> and Lulu excitedly goes like, oh, that's great. Then you'll live here with us. And when Ginko kind of goes like, are you sure that's okay? The two of them are like, yes, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, as Ginko reflects on what her mother told her about finding her happiness, she just goes like, you know what? Yeah, living in a house with, like, my girlfriend seems like a great idea. Lulu and Koreha are obviously overjoyed. We get a literal Ginko has two hands moment. (laughs) Yeah. And then immediately to break up, you know, how sweet this little sequence is, they wham down all of the note notes from all of the days Ginko has missed of school. She was literally only out for two weeks, but apparently Lulu took notes on literally everything the teacher said. So there's a mountain of them. Yeah, Lulu's pretty smart. Yeah, 
<laughs> and she's so cute. I Lulu's so clever. And Dika just sits there and goes like, I thought that was a joke, but you're serious. <laughs> and Korea confirms apparently she thought so as well. And Ginko admits, like, I don't think I'm going to follow all of this if I just read it. Her name is in the notes, if you don't remember. Yep. Oh my god, brain. We So we cut back to seamlessly from this sequence to class. No, I think uh, actually this entire, like, there is a hard cut oh, from... Oh, you're right, because they, they're in their school uniforms in the last panels there. The Ginko has two hands moment, and this is the next day at school. Yep. Yeah, I'm pulling the the notes up here. So thank you, Choco. Right, because she's got the little butterfly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Choco, who in the anime, I must stress, was the leader of the fascist-coded murder squad <laughs> at the end of the anime. So this is breaking my brain a little bit. We get a lot of the side characters pop up in this scene. Yeah, I guess because they've been finalized at this point. Mm-hmm. He just goes like, hey, here's why don't I just give you this list of things that are likely to show up on the test? And Ginko's like, that's awesome. Sure. And the whole class is freaking out because Ginko responded to someone's statement and smiled. And everyone's just overjoyed that she's back to normal. And while Ginko is kind of like going, hey, why is everyone so excited? Koreha just goes, because they like you. <laughs> they do? And when Koreha nods, Ginko just gives this big smile like, people like me. It's cute. Me whenever I get literally any kind of positive reinforcement. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone just starts offering Ginko snacks and, you know, giving her advice on, you know, what to do in terms of studying and inviting her to play ping pong later. You know, the whole class is just happy to reconnect with her again. And Lulu pouts to Kureha that, like, she and Kureha finally got Ginko all of themselves, all of themselves, and now they have to share her with everyone. It's not fair. (laughs) And she's just like, but since she's feeling better, I'll forgive her. Right, Kureha? And Kureha just goes, hey, Lulu, remember how at the beginning of the manga, Ginko was also smiley and cheery and absolutely forcing it? I think she's forcing it because Kureha has more than one brain cell. And we have established that her most consistent character trait is being actually perceptive about other people. Mm-hmm. And Ginko continues to wonder why everyone is being so kind to her, even though she doesn't deserve it, which very normal thoughts to have at 15 years old, or, you know, in her case, like, I think she's ex- she's 16 in the manga. And sh- she's going through Eureka's desk to find the stuff that Eureka asked her to pick up, and she finds the ending pages of the book. And we see the last page that we saw earlier in the manga, and Ginko reflects on the fact that, yeah, it was probably a good idea to not show this to Kureha. And in her head, Ginko hears the words criminal bear over and over and over again. I won't let you forget, I'm a bear. Ginko is being haunted briefly by bear costume Ginko, mm-hmm. who is actually adorable and also terrifying in that panel oh yeah it's so cute and scary yeah i am absolutely terrified if if i saw ginko pop out of the corner of my eye like this i would scream reset the higurashi counter because it's big Higurashi energy. <laughs> it has been an hour since we last mentioned higurashi yeah. 
<laughs> the painters fly up out of Ginko's hand as she thinks to herself that her soul will wander alone in the in the invisible storm for all eternity because that's the punishment for her crime. And Ginko sadly admits that she she does know, and as she admits that her self perception changes again and she shrinks down to her little bear state. She thinks to herself, I know that I am a criminal bear. And she's surrounded by little bear heads. Yep. Look, she's in bear void. Mm-hmm. Floating in bear space. So, meanwhile, Kureha and Lulu are down at the shooting range. And Lulu asks Kureha, hey, you know how Kale tried to kill your mom, but couldn't? And Kureha's like, yeah, that was before Ginko and I were born. And Lulu's like, so your mom did die, though, so... How did she die? Was it like an accident or she got sick? And Kareha goes like, my mom got lost in a forest. We're about to have the fucking plot twist. Yep. My mom got lost in the forest 10 years ago and she took a bullet that was meant for a bear. Ginko shot her by accident. Dun, dun, dun! I completely forgot about this twist, if I'm honest. Is a twist. Oh, I love Sarah's and my. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> that was all I could think of when I turned to this page. Just little Toei with. I mean, it's like different circumstances, but that's all I could think of was little Toei with the gun. In this case, it's even more tragic because it's a full on. It's the rifle Kureha practices with, but it's an actual model, not a uh, show rifle. Mm-hmm. And little six-year-old Ginko is grasping the gun. It's bigger than she is. It is bigger than she is. That kickback probably could have broken a bone in her arm if she shot it. I'm surprised that it didn't break her ribs. Yeah, like I don't. I think the only thing that saved her is she didn't fire it on purpose. Because if she'd been holding it correctly, it absolutely would have fucked her shoulder up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So yeah. So that happened. Yeah, the real twist here, because they've been baiting the idea that Ginko is in some way connected to this for chapters now. The real twist here is that Kureha knows. Well, I yeah. think she had the realization about it fairly recently in story timeline. Yeah. Like we she's known about it for at this point in the story a while, although it's not clear if she figured it out after meeting Kale, which would make a lot of sense, or if she was smart enough that she figured it out. You I know. feel like we see a scene where like she says she knows what happened, and then we this is just the only this is picking back up from where that yeah. was put down. Yeah, and my guess is because that sequence happens after specifically they find the original novel. Yeah, the original book in the library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what kind of jogs her memory. Mm-hmm. And my guess there is Kureha suspected or mostly figured it out at that point, And it's just like now she has all the evidence and she can kind of like, she can finally have this stuff come together. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like, I, di- I didn't dislike any of this by any stretch, but I am not as like... Like, I, I've been riding pretty high on these past past couple episodes with the manga just sort of keep getting better. And now it's not that it's, like, worse. It's just that, like, some of it is weird. It's kind of lost in the sauce, as they say. Like It is a little lost in the sauce. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just especially, like you said, it's just revisiting the manga. It's been, you know, pretty consistent in terms of the characterization and, like, character growth. And this one, it just felt like, it felt a lot like anime filler. And I do think that, you know, most people think that anime filler has no purpose. I think it does have a purpose. But it does kind of take away some of the momentum. And in the last volume, it's it's a weird time to do it. Like there's like the whole Sumika kind of chapter felt a lot like a bonus chapter kind of thing. Like it didn't seem like something that needed to be in the story proper and things like that. And then the Ginkgo plot twist, it's like Yeah. Okay, we had to ground this a little more in reality, I guess. Like that was kind of the goal. But Yeah. We'll see how it all comes together, but I'm not sure what it really adds to the story it's just like it's like what like oh ginkgo has a reason to be traumatized we've met her mom she already had reason enough it is worth noting that i can't find dates on like when these chapters came out specifically but the tankabon was released after the end of the anime so like Mm -hmm. it is likely that this stuff was being put out after the end of the anime or at least around the end of the anime yeah that would track and it definitely shows yeah i'm gonna say this for it i think for me at least what really stood out to me about this little bit of the manga is it's getting a little bit weirder but it's getting weirder specifically in that like i feel like this is the point where ikuhara kind of doubled down on making this in a project Because, like, we're getting a lot more directorial choices here. The storytelling is becoming kind of into sync with how the anime tells its story rather than the manga. And I think that, like, in trying to synthesize the two, we're getting a little bit of Uncanny Valley. This is not unlike in Sailor Moon when they, like, fucked around for all of Super S and then realized they had to reestablish or that they realized they had to establish a bunch of shit that the manga had done when they went to do Sailor Stars. That is the exact same energy. It really does have that. uh, Yeah. Super S. And I I think that like, it's not bad. I I actually really like this. No, I don't think it's bad. But I can understand why we're getting, we're all kind of getting the vibe of like, why now? Because it is very like. It's very much a vibe of like, uh we, we could have done this at any time why did you take until now to do it i like how some of this is handled though in a in a lot of little ways i actually like the little side chapter with sumika even though it's very frivolous and could probably have just been like added as an extra thing i feel like it it is kind of only there to establish the limits of this world's realism or magical realism because mm-hmm. they don't want to like yeah it's an interesting like i don't know maybe i'm that kind of person who doesn't care if things are left open-ended or ambiguous but it is a weird kind of like thing to define like yeah, i feel like no, you need I, to define mm-hmm. I, I don't understand either and i'm just this is me guessing rather than knowing mm-hmm. because like i don't think i think everyone would probably would have been fine if like sumika's vague bear magic had never been explained but yeah Okay, actually, no, I, oh, fuck, I actually have a coherent explanation for why this is. Okay. So we talked about how the central metaphor of this version of the story is that the invisible storm is mental health and childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Sumika is coded as a therapist, and establishing in that chapter that she is not doing magic, she's doing folk remedies and mental health techniques. 
mm-hmm. is deeply important to explaining why the characters change in the way they do after they visit her. Visiting Sumika hmm. is going to therapy. That's probably the best possible explanation for that. Speed run therapy. Mm-hmm. Because we were just talking about the fact that Kale kind of changes pretty drastically here, and it's like everyone kind of forgets how trash she is. It's like Mm -hmm. one way of reading that is in the story, kind of metaphysically, Kale's gone to therapy. Mm -hmm. She isn't fixed, but from the perspective of the story and the characters, she is now doing the work of self-improvement. You could read what happened with, you know, all of that as kind of like... she and Eureka kind of went to couples therapy, essentially. You could read what happened with Lulu as grief counseling. And we will probably have to read what happens with Ginkgo as essentially being a kind of intervention as well. If you make that read, if you assume that metaphorically or at least like semiotically, Ikuhara wants to kind of give us the idea of like the bear house is therapy. Sumika mm-hmm. is kind of a Twin Peaks version of a therapist. then all of this makes a lot more sense narratively as stuff that happens not just emotionally but also like you know it's a way of taking the actual kind of like long periods of time and energy you need to sink into going to therapy and narratively compressing it down so it can fit within the boundaries of the story they want to tell i think you're right i think it's a really good read on it because, yeah, Sumika, especially with the folk remedies, is really... I mean, yeah, she's acting as a stand-in therapist and letting people process and work through their feelings in a way they weren't able to before in the past or didn't choose to, kind of making mm-hmm. them confront them. Hmm. Anyway, I don't know if, like, the, the folk remedy thing was necessary for people to understand that reading, but that's the best I've got on that. <laughs> it definitely... No, it definitely adds to it. I yeah, think I think that's a great great call out i just personally wish it had been woven in i mean i think it's woven in in some ways but i don't know if it needed to be a whole chapter i think that's where i landed yeah agreed Mm -hmm. i also don't think especially divorce from the main trio yeah it's also a thing where it's like if i need to go out of my way to sit and on my third reading or so of this part of the manga (sighs) come Mm -hmm. to the realization and explain it while asking questions about what's going on, there's some question about how clear the metaphor was to be. Yeah. That you've just summed up all of my feelings about <laughs> Penguin Drum. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll get there. I see. No, I mean Penguin Drum. My literal experience is like I could English major my way through this. I can. You're trying to get me to think about it, but I'm fucking angry about it because you don't deserve my energy, Ikuhara. <laughs> But yeah, I think in that regard, but seriously, you're on the nose there. Like, I think that's a problem Ikuhara has. Like, Utena really works because the imagery is so dense, like, you can parse a lot out of it. But this, it's not really, it wants to ground itself too much in reality, I think. But in a way that is just misconstrued and kind of obfuscates what, you know, what it's trying to do. Like, I don't think they need to make clear that it was, like, not magic, you know. The real magic was therapy all along. Like, they're not mutually exclusive in this universe, necessarily. Yeah. But that's a great read, Cass. I don't want to, like, applaud you for it, I think. Yeah, you had to put in the mental effort, but that's a pretty... (laughs) 
I hope for somebody reading this, they'll be reading it the first time and be like, wow, that makes complete sense. And bless you for not having to read it like three times to get there. <laughs> yeah. If, if anyone is listening to this podcast right now in preparation for reading the manga, go in with the mindset that the invisible storm is mental health, Sumika's a therapist, and you will probably have a much easier time parsing everything that happens and everything that's driving this version of the character or these versions of the characters i should say yeah maybe that's why it felt so unrealistic to me i don't think kali would go to therapy that willingly mm. like <laughs> yeah, I, that well like she didn't that's true but like <laughs> at least... she got surprise interventioned <laughs> she really did get intervention that's probably the best way to say it i yeah. still i don't care for her but I, I appreciate what they're trying to do. And like I said, I, I want to keep that in mind, especially the Sumika therapist thing going forward to see kind of how that thesis carries through through the end of the manga. I really hope that I've come up with something smart here and that I haven't just made a reading based entirely on trying to understand these few chapters. And then it turns out these chapters were just actually inconsistent. And I'm smarter than Ikuhara. <laughs> we'll just have to see how it all shakes out uh in these last the next four chapters when we finish yuri bear storm indeed we shall so yeah um we're we're almost at the end and we're definitely at the end of this episode but we're almost at the end of the manga is everyone excited for i am deeply excited for the finale mm-hmm. it's been a ride it really has it's been interesting to revisit it after watching the anime especially and just rereading in general, it just gives you a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And it also, it's uh, it's good to be able to read something with friends and be able to bounce like your thoughts and reactions off of each other. Yeah, not have to think about Ikuhara's bullshit myself and instead let Cass <laughs> do a lot of the lifting. That is really nice. Cass <laughs> figured it out for us. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, uh... I am thinking about if these next couple job interviews I take not working out, just posting a thing up on Fiverr that says, we'll explain Ikuhara for food. (laughs) God. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at UtanaCast. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Impananata. Alice, where can people find you online? They can find me online on Twitter where I am found at Lyrewolf, L-I-R-E-W-U-L-F. And Cass, where can people find the podcast that you and Alice do? You can find Alice and I's podcast, Big Steppy, wherever fine podcasts are listened to. But you can also find our social media account for it on Twitter at SteppyCast. That's Steppy, S-T-E-P-P-Y-C-A-S-T. And Abby, should you wish to be found, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Abby Say Swords. That's A B B Y Say Swords. And listeners, if you'd like to support this show, you can do that at utanacast.com. That is where you can find our Patreon. And uh, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can either email us at imagineandutana at gmail.com or you can fill out the Google form that is in our pinned tweet. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. Insert me making a joke about how it's time for me to go eat dinner. Gow gow. Gow gow. Gow gow. Look for the